Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Suckling Podcast here with Benji Nyson for perhaps the craziest and best Grand Tour stage of the year so far. We're both still kind of in shock, reeling at what just happened in the Vuelta España Stage 20, which is like the northern Spanish version of Liege, Bastion Liege, incredible stage designed from San Checho to Castro de Ervilla. 203 kilometres, over 4,000 metres of climbing, medium mountain, all Day. It's shallower at the start, then they got a bit of respite in a valley before the uh, 100Ks to go, and then the real climb start, 7Ks, 5%, 6Ks, 6%, 10Ks, 6%, with 6Ks at 7.5%. Alto de Prado, 5.5Ks at 6.2%, but the start ramp is 1K at 10%. Then they've got the final climb, which is a fake news climb. It even has a descent in the middle, classic stuff. says it's 10Ks at 5%. It's really... Two climbs at like 7% with steep pinches in it. Um, the graphic, honestly, Benji, looked wrong. It says it's like shallower at the end. They were on yeah. steep pinch. I don't trust the graphics. It was steep, steeper than we expected. And uh, as a reminder of the GC standings before the stage started, Haig was about a minute and a half behind Miguel Angel Lopez Yates. Sorry, Bernal then seven or eight seconds behind Haig and uh, Adam Yates about a minute and eight or a minute and seven behind Jack Haig, who's in fourth. Mars second, pretty much wrapped, and Roglic wrapped up the leader's jersey uh, unless he crashes on this stage. Before Benji tells us about the break formation, mention our show partner, LaCole, who produced performance cycling apparel at the base of Monte Grappa in Italy. They currently have a sale on at the moment, and you can get 20% off in addition to sale items using LR Vuelta 2.0. That's all caps. LR Vuelta 2.0 discount code. Thanks to LaCole for supporting the podcast. You can see them in the their link in the description down below. But Benji, this breaks some familiar names, expected names, as well as the Padun train is back. Yes, nuclear Padun was in the breakaway. We also had Michael Storr already has two stage wins and we were uh, potentially looking at a third one today if everything would go well for him. Together with Roman Bardet, that's an interesting story because... Uh, 59 points in KOM for Storer before the stage. Roman Bardet being on 54. They were about to find out who would win KOM on this stage, and it would likely be between them. So that's kind of funny. Sean Poussin, the breakaway, Trentin and Gibbons. We said yesterday on the podcast, Trentin would be the kind of rider to be in the breakaway today to try and set something up for someone else in the breakaway. I named De La Cruz, but it seems like they went for the likes of Gibbons on this one, who actually is African continental champion. You would easily forget that that also exists next to the European one because we almost never see the shirt in races, but Gibbons is definitely showing it today. Mikkel Biscotta in the breakaway, Stan de Wolf, Jan Hirt, who lost Mankeys yesterday as his leader, so has the ability to try for himself. Danny Navarro, Chris Hamilton, so Hamilton, another rider for Sean Poussin, Bardet. No, for Bardet and Storm, my bad. So uh, that's the breakaway. And honestly, Trenton helped a lot in keeping that breakaway ahead. But the gap went up so quickly after the first few rolling hills because at the start, there's no one really willing to control. Yumbo has no point in controlling this breakaway. 
well, Baden is in the break, so Bahrain's like, okay, we can't backpedal in now. We can't backwards pace now like last time. And it's also a stage that on paper fits a bit more than those larger climbs at the end. So that's also a reason, I think, why Bahrain also doesn't pace in the peloton here. Obviously, Baden being in the break is the main factor, though. And the likes of Aninha is not pacing yet. They also have limited riders, so I don't think we can expect that at that point. But the gap went up to 11 minutes, and I was like, this is the break winning. 11 minutes is a lot. I don't know how anybody's going to catch this again, like genuinely. But uh, that swiftly changed, right? Because uh, we had Ineos moving to the fore. Ineos moved up. They don't have many riders here. They're sort of riding with two leaders and about two domestiques. Pidcock and Sivakov did a magnificent job again today, trying their best once we got into these the extended climbs. And Pidcock brought that gap back to like – Brought like put like six minutes into it or something, Benji, or five minutes into it. <laughs> he yeah, ripped crazy. into this gap um, from the breakaway, which wasn't functioning too well because when the breakaway gets 11 minutes, then why would you pull if you're in the break? You'd want to sit on it. I thought it was surprising DSM. Maybe they did and I didn't see it properly. I thought they with multiple riders would have kept it going a little bit. Uh, well, the problem is our teammates, if they want to fight against each other for a KOM, ha-ha. Uh, that that didn't seem to be happening. Stora took most points, and I saw Bade back at the medical car. So it looked like Stora, yeah, he wrapped up the uh, KOM jersey. I think almost mathematically yep. halfway through the stage. But yeah, Ineos pacing. And which climb was it, Benji? Where we knew I was like, there's going to be a Bernal Long Ranger, or yeah, it's, it has to happen because like we have like sixty kilometers plus to go. We cannot. Sivakov and Pidcock cannot do this all day. They didn't do it the first climb. It was funny how they swapped Pidcock, Benji, at the crest. Pidcock was pulling, and then they yeah. put Sivakov for the descent. I was like, isn't that the wrong way around? Um, <laughs> and then the next climb, they do it again, and we see off the pace of Sivakov and Adam Yates almost he, – he does it before they finish the pull. It kind of surprises people. I, I thought it was a hard dig. People say, oh, a soft – I thought it was very, very hard that uh, – that dig and um that was where the chaos all started what, what, what climb was that been like 60 k's to go yeah 60 k to go on the alto de mugas as we uh predicted yesterday where Ineos would attack because uh like everything so far in this stage was very predictable knowing that Ineos would likely be the team that would light things up because they have two riders in gc that are not on the podium and two riders that one of them would be happy with the top five but the other one that is not in the top five is going to yolo attack for a for a podium here and we knew somebody would do it and Adam Yates was the first one to make that push on Alto de Mugas and I was kind of surprised because I expected it to be Bernal personally just because it feels like Bernal's that kind of rider more than Adam Yates is that kind of rider in my eyes but he surprised me and he did it quite well because uh his tempo did not make gaps really Kreisweg was able to keep in his wheel but the tempo was high enough to drop basically half the group and put Bernal on a bit of an of trouble it seems some people were saying that he was just waiting in the wheel and was waiting at the back to make a strike themselves but he looked the same way that he looked when when Roglic was dropping him in week one do you think so as well he was on the radio straight away you could see him on the radio telling Yates so I don't well maybe he was just talking to the car being like guys I don't feel good because I guess the plan would have been I think you're right actually with Academy Yates because he stopped on the left side of the road after that attack going slower very like almost straight away and I think the plan was for Bernal, you'd think, to counter and he couldn't straight away. And I think at that point he's like, guys, I can't do a 50-kilometer solo raid or we'll raid with Roglic on this stage. Like I, 
I can't do it. And I think um, this is just me reading into what I saw on the road. I feel like Bernal just then threw in all he had into an attack, which was marked very promptly by Jack Haig um, to basically just another counter to set up Yates. And then we have another counter. I think, did Enric Mas attack Benji or Lopez? So we basically had that attack by Bernal through the middle. It was De La Cruz that went before that with yeah, Mitter closing right. and then the group came back together and that's when Bernal from the back of the group moved through the middle, just straight through the middle and went for that crazy attack you mentioned. And we saw indeed Haig following, Lopez following, and then a bit of a gap and Kreisweg was the one that needed to close it for Roglic and that went quite smoothly. So Kreisweg being there, Sepka's not, we haven't mentioned that. Sepka's was gone. Missing in action. Don't know where he is. Somewhere on the roads right now, <laughs> trying to finish the stage. So uh, GC Kuz died on stage 20, I'm afraid. I think he kept um, the same spot because <laughs> the gaps are so Really? Big. Yeah. We finished seven Genius. minutes down. <laughs> anyway, we had that Bernal attack, but eventually the group came back together again after Kreisweg closed that. And it was really the next attack that made something very important happen. And that's Yates attacking once again. Just when Bernal is caught on the right side of the road, Yates passes everybody, has more acceleration than everybody because they're looking at each other on the left side of the road. And who responds to that? Gino Mater on the right side of the road passes along and also follows the wheel and Roglic is the one that responds. He knew that Kreisweg was not able to close that gap himself and from that point onwards the other people had to look at himself and be like oh shit this is mine to close. Mars was the next one to close it. Haig was the next one and then a mistake happens. Miguel Angel Lopez does not respond. Bernal also but I don't think Bernal had too much energy left and a gap was opened and uh, that's when uh, stuff went down. So I don't want to, I'm not patting myself on the back here, but I did, we've been talking, Benji and I, about how this stage is the perfect stage for Bahrain who have the riders and Movistar don't have any domestiques here. Ineos now don't have any domestiques. They've both got two leaders. It's not even, it's almost inevitable that you're going to get caught on the wrong side of a split. Hay got caught on the wrong side of a split yep. twice. But the difference is Maida closes it for him. And so it comes back together. Same with Robert, as Benji said, Chrysler closes it for him. And with Movistar, they don't have Verona. They don't have Valverde to close it for any of those guys. And so then we have a group with Mas, Haig, Roglic, Gino Maida, Adam Yates, who's missing, podium candidate, Miguel Ángel López, as Benji said. Gino Maida then attacks. And I'm like, what? And that's, yeah. that can't be the plan. He attacks. We see Hay get straight on the radio and say, no, no, come back, stop right now. Made it immediately. You, you can see it in the front of the shot. And immediately stops. Hay catches back up to them. We now have like a, a, a very fast pedaling descent. We also have like undulating ridge line. And you've got to remember, Made is a bit heavier. Hay 70 kilos. Bernal's not going to chase for Miguel Angel Lopez behind and UAE don't help. And those two guys, Hagen Maida, absolutely rip it. And on, I think it was like a shallow climb, you could see Lopez trying to pull. And even yeah. though it was 25 meters, I was like, he has no shot of closing that gap. It was like when Roglic Benji, he got dropped off like 20 meters behind the peloton in Paranese Stage 8. It was the same vibes. And you're like, he can't close that. Like, it's not yeah. possible, no matter it's how many what's he doing. And, and um, like a small detail to that is that yes. we had about pulls in, in the group behind together with Lopez and so forth. And he was directly the second that the gap opened ahead of Lopez already on the radio to Haig and Mater or the team just in general and probably saying something along the lines of there's a gap, Lopez is behind, just go. <laughs> 
and perhaps Mater fought that too literally and went for that attack. But uh, I did want to note that special moment of communication because despite it not being super obvious, communication is very much key in cycling when it comes to tactics. And uh, that's definitely shown here. And then the question arises, what happens in the breakaway? Button attacks and drops everybody <laughs> on the plateau section between the clans. Button also being a part of the team of Mater and Haig. And then everybody's like, this man has to wait. Like the gap has gone down to four minutes, three minutes and a half at this point. He has to wait on Haig and Mater. Sure, the man can win a stage here 100%. It's possible. But the podium is more important. I know you don't have a contract next year at the moment, written on paper at least, Button, but you have to wait. Would you have waited if you were Button? I don't think. I think he was like he didn't. Uh, well, when he attacked, I thought, has he heard Haig's attack? And he's like, I better get off the front <laughs> and get as big a lead as possible, so they can't call me back. Because this is what happened in the Dauphiné stage eight, and I remember that situation. I was even discussing it with some of some riders, and I was like, do you call Padun back for Haig when Padun had certain Dauphiné stage eight win? And Haig attacked going for the podium at Dauphiné. And I think I agreed and they all said, you don't do that for a, a World Tour one-week race podium, especially when the win was like literally guaranteed for Padun. But yeah. in this situation, so far from the finish, he's being chased by a group. His gap wasn't huge. With them needing the help, I think it's pretty clear cut. You drop Padun back for the Agreed. podium. And they did, and he did the right thing as a teammate and came back, and he did a magnificent job today, Mark Padun, for Haig. In fact, so well. Well, but first, though, Benji, we've almost skipped ahead. Mater and Haig straight away put about a minute. It goes to a minute 30. On the ticker, on the on the TV, it's going up a second each second, and it's just yeah. Lopez pacing behind. They go past a beachfront, and you can see Haig and Mater just going, like, real fast sound effects from me. And Lopez... I think he gave up with the gap at about two minutes. And yeah, it seems like waited. he was uh, he was very very angry in the in the group behind, most likely because of the situation, because it's something you can't control, except for the fact that you missed a split. If you miss a split at that point, then you're you're fucked, mate. And Lopez was fucked because at a certain point, the likes of a a Bauman or Omen, one of the two, was coming back already to the group there, and. When the entire group of Ormond comes back, then you're like, okay, this tempo is too slow and I, I can't do anything about it. I don't have any riders for it. And then Rojas, I think, or Arviti, one of the two, Rojas, okay, also came back in the group of Ormond and started pacing, but the gap was up to three minutes by that point. And uh, then there's a bit of a Lopez. So when do we talk about it? Now or after now. the stage? Well, okay. so, so Rojas came back, unfortunately, for Lopez too. He came back at the base of... Uh, a climb I think the, Alto de Prado. He, he came back at the base of there whereas in the valley the 10k valley is where they needed Rojas and like, there's literally nothing Lopez can do trying or not you can't you can't out pull those guys on the flat right. and especially with Pudun driving it and I feel like for Lopez I don't know it's like he's getting shades of planche de Belfi, the TT do you think Benji if you're Lopez, if you're Lopez and you think I, he's closed more gaps from Mas than Mas hasn't closed a single gap to him this welter, not once. No one's really ridden for Lopez this welter at all. Do you think when Yates went and Mas joined that group, he's thinking Mas should be closing this gap for me when Hague's up the road? He shouldn't. Mas is ahead of him in GC. It's too uh, risky. It's there's no. I don't believe in that aspect. Like, it would be stupid if if he's thinking that, no offense. Like, because Maz is clearly the biggest leader here at Movistar right now. 
because he's ahead of him in GC. Quite simple as that. On paper, his time trial is also more consistent. They know that in the team. So there is no point in this race where I had the idea even that Lopez, well, that Ma should be doing something for Lopez. Lopez was always the secondary uh, leader in that in that team. And that's definitely the case as well today. So uh, yeah, then he, uh, then he got angry. And we didn't see any of this at that moment, but... We heard rumors on Twitter because La Flamme Rouge was posting stuff they heard from RTVE, which is, I think, Spanish television, yes. um, that Lopez was stopping and standing by the side of the road and that he was talking to Pachivilla and complaining to Pachivilla about wanting to abandon because, yeah, there's honestly nothing he can do in this stage anymore. And tomorrow, the time trial, what it, what it, what is there for him? Saving a top 10? I think at this point, it's just a whole lot, a lot of, I don't know, just bit sad and disappointed mostly about what happened today and angry because of that. I think so. And he's thinking, you know, Benji, if they've got Carlos Verona there, it's all the problems are fixed. And like yeah. Verona is going to pull that back or keep it close. And I do feel sorry for him. I feel sorry for Movistar in that we knew this was a risk. This is why I was talking about Bahrain in this stage where domestiques can get up the road, can put so much pressure on teams with no domestiques and, yeah, it was unfortunate for him and he eventually, we'll cut to the chase, Lopez eventually abandoned, but it, this went on. We only got confirmation after the stage finished. It seems to have been like Movistar didn't know what he was doing and I think we'll wait to pass judgment on it too much before we hear what's going on. I remember uh, there's a Cycling Weekly article that Lopez was discussing about the pressures of, you know, the pressures of being a GC leader, etc. maybe he didn't feel supported, you know, but it is a shame, Benji, because... I wouldn't have criticized Lopez a single bit today if he finished the stage. No one would. Like, tactically, he missed a split. He's got no domestiques. It shit happens. He won the stage. Oh, what can you do? I, I wouldn't even blame him like this either. Like, there's going to be people out there that call this out for professional, just not being professional and so forth, which is, honestly is not if he finishes the stage like that, in my opinion. But I don't really care. First of all, the guy indeed must have a lot of pressure for this podium. He's been trying for a while. He had two podiums in one year. I think, was it two years ago? Um, Chiro and, Vuelta. Yeah, exactly. And now he's so close to another podium and it gets taken away by one small event in this stage that has so many consequences. And that's that one second where he misses that split or decides not to go in the split because Maz is in it. And... As a consequence, he has to live with that consequence that he's going to be losing time for the rest of the stage. There's nothing he can do about it. So why finish the, the race? Like, I, I don't see a point to it if I'm him at the moment. There's nothing he can do to help Moss. Yeah, I guess. And he's got the stage win. I guess it just, it then, and he's in the heat of the race. We're sitting on our couch and I'm thinking, okay, what's the press narrative going to be? And that's what the guys in the car are thinking. They're going to be like, if you quit, the press narrative will turn nasty. Yeah. You're going to get roasted. The team will look bad. The team is all this goodwill they've built, Benji. The, you know, Patchy Villa's come on board, new Movistar. That gets thrown in the bin now and the press is going to be like dysfunctional again. And like, on, like, Bernal lost GC time today. Bernal was on the wrong side of a split. Bernal was losing the white jersey. Bernal didn't close Adam Yates. So that is where the people will say, well, okay, I'm not going to roast Lopez, but, you know, it's still 
problems maybe at Movistar. But let's put that to one side until we hear further. It is a shame that he abandoned the race because I really wish the narrative had been, you know, Movistar podium, Movistar stage win on the Queen stage. Great news. Yeah. Let's go fast forward now. Four minutes, five minutes ahead. They're not being caught. Hager's in virtual third. That's locked for the end of this stage. The question is now Adam Yates, a minute and eight or so behind him on GC. He's now the threat. And what I saw from Bahrain was steady pacing, and they got teammates, so Yates can't go early. They, he can't test the condition of Haig because he's got Maida and Podun right there. And then, I honestly, Benji, I, I have no idea what was going on with the break. All I know is they eventually caught the break. Ryan Gibbons was at minute 30 up the road going into the final climb, and before you begin that final climb, Mark Podun dropped back from the break, then went to the GC group, then caught the break. That's how strong he was. Except <laughs> Gibbons. Except Gibbons. <laughs> Gibbons was riding alone after dropping basically everybody on that uh, Prado climb. And that climb actually looked way more fun than I expected it to be. I think he actually attacked just before the climb started. And uh, that was like a very steep section at a certain point where we saw the gaps properly. So we saw Gibbons passing two minutes ahead of the elite group, including the likes of Haig with potting pacing and Mater pacing, but Mater seemed to have gone back to a sitting along role because Potten was there as a consequence because Bernal's behind, so Mater can actually take the white jersey now. That's another story in this battle already, another fight in the fight. And it seemed like a few riders were in between, like a Biscara was still in between those groups, Sean Poussin, but eventually those riders would get caught by the elite group. And uh, I think the next point in the race really was that the tempo in that group kept on going over the Prado climb, and we started the Castro de Erville, which is a final climb, which starts off quite steep, and that's where we had a first attack in the elite group once again, Adam Yates. And uh, what did you see in Haig? I saw a lot of weakness in Haig on this final climb on the steep pinches because he's also been working with Maida on the flat. Or st- like Yates has been sitting in. Yates and Ineos have now had time. Okay, Bernal's gone. You saw the car came up speaking to Yates. They're obviously saying, ride your race now. Ineos don't have a stage win. And I really don't understand the way Yates rode this climb. It's really perplexing to me. His TT is, is frankly, has been better than Haig's. Um, yeah. Is it a minute better for Nick for tomorrow? That's a tall order. But is it 20 nope. seconds better? Like, so I think he can definitely win by 20 seconds in a TT. He attacks once, Roglic marks him. And at that point, you're like, okay, well, if Roglic is marking me, I'm fucked because I'm not going to beat him in the finish. You're marking me. He's better than me. Stage win gone. But when he attacks on the steep pinches, Haig is struggling. And then he stops. They get to a flatter section. He stops. And I'm like, what are you doing? Haig's off the back. You can take... T- 25 seconds, 30 seconds here on Haig. And yeah, like, what, we, what explanation do you have, Benji? Is it just he thinks he can't podium GC at all? I don't know. I think that the only concepts that come into mind why Yates does not continue an effort like that is one that he feels like he can't. But if that is the case, then he can't attack two more times doing exactly the same thing after the first time. So that doesn't seem reasonable. And the other thing would be he also wants to win the stage next to trying to gain time on people and you can't have both here you have to either choose keep pacing after you drop Haig or go for the stage and just don't look after Haig and choosing the stage in that is just not a good choice in me in in my opinion going for top three is where it's at and if he kept going with Haig off the back then he most likely would have been able to keep that tempo up and keep that gap 
expanding from that point on because Hague was indeed not looking that great. And it was always when the tempo went down that Hague was able to come back. And at these moments, the interesting part was that all these riders from the breakaway initially were all over the road, ahead and behind. Now, at that point, Gibbons was the only one ahead of the group. The likes of Biscara and Sean Poussin Hamilton just got caught with the last AIDS attack. And uh, that's when Biscara flew past again. And the gap was roughly 10 meters to Gibbons at the top. And then it goes into a downhill. And again, 30 seconds. Biscara <laughs> tries to close that himself. Tries to close down Gibbons. Doesn't get to do that because the road goes up again. And Biscara just completely park edges on it. The lead group comes past him again. Another lead group... Once again, just not really doing anything because that was where Roglic and Maz were riding next to each other at the front with lots of spectators. And at a certain point, Maz even got looked a bit angry at a spectator with a huge flag that just kept standing ahead of him and almost crashed him if he stood there two seconds longer. But did we see like a small move of Roglic there? I swear I saw something, but I don't know where. Well, Roglic is clearly interested in stage win, and that's why, I mean, if you're Yates and Roglic is interested in stage win, you got very low chance of winning the stage. Gibbons attacks over a crest, comes back from the dead after they've caught Gibbons. Uh, I'm not sure if Roglic had had a dig. Roglic had been pacing. Gibbons attacks. Roglic snap closes Gibbons straight onto it. (laughs) Mass attacks. Yates, who'd been sitting on – and when when we're talking they're finessing, these guys were literally like not pedaling once they – and Hay got to recover. And I think – yeah, and then Mater is even coming back. And then Mass attacks. Yates closes. I'm like, Yates does have the legs. So he's just going for stage win, I think. And then Haig's able to get onto his wheel. And then Roglic is like marking everyone for stage win. Perfect finish for him. He's caught Gibbons, marked Gibbons. And then out of the blue, off the top rope, Champoussin, who and the odds for him five minutes before this to win this stage would have been <laughs> astronomical, screams past them over a crest into like a faster section. 23-year-old Frenchman on Azure Desert, Citroën. His face, he's got no sun, he's on his face, the best pain face we've seen in a while. And Roglic lets him go. I'm like, I'm so confused now. Do you just hate UAE? Are you cooked? Like, to me, that doesn't really make sense, but whatever. Champoussin, no one chases him. Yates doesn't pace. And he goes on to win this stage easily in the end, despite Roglic uh, doing his thing and you know that patented acceleration at the end where he easily gaps Adam Yates and Master So Champoussin wins this stage. An incredible one, I always remember. Six seconds out of Roglic, eight seconds out of Yates and Mars, who were two seconds behind Roglic, who put four seconds into Haig, and then Yates also gets the four bonus seconds. But if I'm Yates, that could have been 20, 25 seconds easily, plus six bonus yes. seconds if Roglic beats him. Um, Certainly. He would have been uh, potentially on the podium already if he kept on going from the first attack. And I don't know, I, I, it's incomprehensible what Yates did on this finish. And he may have just given away a, a podium because I find it very much less likely that he podiums tomorrow with a minute gap. But uh, hey, I guess we'll figure that out tomorrow. It's still a, a battle that's ongoing, which also is kind of fun. I'm glad that it's not like a minute 50 or a minute or two minutes 20 or something like that. I'm glad it's like a minute so that we still have that battle in the time trial tomorrow. But uh, when it comes to Maz and Roglic, I don't think anything can really change there in GC. The gap is significant and... Uh, unless something happens to either of them, but we don't want that to happen when it comes to mechanicals and so forth. But uh, Jean Poussin, first pro victory after we've (laughs) called him for so many stage wins the last (laughs) two years on this podcast because he kept going for that bloody top 20 in GC. And fun fact, he now has both 16 Vanna stage wins. 
<laughs> he's it's only 52 that he's minutes move. back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the gaps are huge. 10 for oh, GC legit. on 20 minutes. But I'll let you discuss the uh, the top 10 here. The GC gaps are outrageous. Roglic, 238 ahead of Mars, 448 ahead of Haig, who's a minute exactly ahead of Yates in fourth. Eugenio Omega moves into fifth and takes the white jersey, barring a mechanical or something tomorrow. He's on 8.14 in fifth, three and a half minutes ahead of Egan Bernal. Kuz doesn't move a GC position despite losing seven minutes today on 13.42. Guillaume Martin moves up because Lopez is out of the race now. Everyone moves up. Guillaume Martin into eighth on 16.11. De La Cruz on 16.19, so ninth and eighth I think will change. Groschart then moves back into the top 10 on 20.30. I can't remember a 20.30 gap at 10th Benji before. <laughs> uh, I I don't remember that either. And the funny part is that when Lopez was behind, the first thing I thought about when Lopez was set to be abandoning, the first thing I thought about was Iking top ten, and now he's bloody eleventh after a rider that can time trial. So it's not gonna happen. <laughs> Been unfortunate for Anthony Marche after what happened to Mankeys, but hey, Bora has done a lot for that Grosch in top ten as well. He uh, also had that crash in that one stage, so I guess he definitely deserves it as well. Oh what a stage like for me this is the best ground tour stage of 2021 montalcino was fun but gc wise it didn't change as much as this one in my eyes and it was also less decisive knowing that montalcino came so early in the ground tour this is later in the ground tour has so many consequences people said stage seven in the tour de france this was also one of my favorites before today but that didn't have big GC consequences despite the tactics that were going on in the race. And the tactics is what gets it for me. But I want to uh, finish off my Vuelta story here with one final question for you. Why do you think that Movistar riders are having more pressure at Movistar? I think the answer is simple, because they're movie stars. <laughs> oh, it's, it's something I stole off Twitter <laughs> by Ludwig, by the way. So, uh, I think the Spanish press is pretty, is pretty ruthless. Like, Mars has been apparently criticized a lot and people have commented on my, like, YouTube highlight videos. They're like, oh, wow, like someone who's not in the Spanish press who's saying, yeah, Mars is doing a pretty good job, like second on GC, like he's on a better level, this Vuelta. And whereas the Spanish press is like, why isn't he winning stages? Why isn't he attacking Roglic? And, yeah, stage 17, I did say that a little bit cowardly, which when they didn't help Bahrain, which I stand behind. But um, like stage 18, he had to sit in. Lopez was up the road. Like, what can he do? And then today, he can't beat Roglic on this finish. Like, it'd be outrageous if he did. So, um, yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of pressure on those guys and a pretty ruth- the press is pretty ruthless with them. That being said, as I said before, you know, Ineos don't have Bernal straight up quitting the stage either. So that when yep. that sort of stuff happens, then that's something for the press to latch onto and run with. So that's tough for them. Um, otherwise, GC, what I see for the oh, – Bahrain also, I think they take out the team's classification, 10 minutes instead of Yumbo Visma. But GC, I think Yates a minute behind Haig will, could be close for the podium. Haig will need to do a good TT, obviously. I think De La Cruz goes ahead of Guillaume Martin, Benji. Uh, what about GC Coos? Two minutes behind Bernal. <laughs> do you believe in GC Coos TT? Uh, sorry, I was uh, looking at <laughs> updates for the Lopez. Uh, the Lopez I said, do you believe thing. Secrets, TT. Uh, no, I don't. No. Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. <laughs> you refuse to even acknowledge that as a real question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was. I, I was actually looking for updates on uh, on Lopez because apparently he's uh, still missing, and 
that's a bit worrying. So let's hope that all gets uh, gets yeah, that, uh, good. That sucks. Um, yeah. Hopefully that's resolved in an okay fashion shortly. Jakobsen makes the time limit as well, so Green Jersey yep. is sorted for him. Otherwise, picking the stage tomorrow, Benji, the TT, 33K TT. It's a long one. It's also very hilly. I think people are underestimating what the gaps can be with Roglic. Like, Roglic should be a five-star favorite for this stage. Like, it, it's like the Olympics parkour a little bit. So in, from Padron to Santiago Compostela, it's climb, a lot of the stage is climbing. Um, but, yeah, I've got Roglic the stage win, Benji, and takes like a minute and a half on mass, minimum. Yep. I think that um, Roglic wins the stage. I agree with that. Do we have anybody else that like could come close? I swear we had that same story on the first episode Aramburu. of this Velta, but Aramburu is not here anymore, so thanks for rubbing that in. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, I wouldn't have picked him for this time troll anyway, personally. The likes of a Trotnik, perhaps, but I don't know. He hasn't been godlike either this, this Velta, so I'm not sure if that fits. Joseph Cheney for a top five? Scully? Is uh, he still here? too long, I think. Right. I think he is, but I think it's a bit too long. But I'm not well, sure about it. Cherny has my uh, top five. <laughs> True. Magnus Gort Nilsson. True. Ah, uh, so he's a punchier TT, isn't he? I don't know. Like we we had a good TT. I think uh, was it Dauphiné or I don't know. At some point, was it Tour? I couldn't even remember. Anyway, I think it should be it should be a rollish stage when going normally, unless he takes it pretty easy. But I think he'll go pretty hard. But maybe take it easy in the yep. corners. Normally, um, GC-wise, I'm like looking at who could pass who and who could pass who, but it's pretty straightforward, I think, for tomorrow. The battle between Haig and Yates, I think Haig will survive top three personally. And outside of that, Mater is pretty safe in the position that he's in. Bernal's pretty safe. Casa's pretty safe. Martin versus De La Cruz. I think De La Cruz is going to pass um, Martin. I don't think Groschartner... Ooh, Groschartner versus Martin, four minutes and 15 seconds. <laughs> four minutes! <laughs> probably not going to happen. Martin will probably survive on ninth and Groschartner will be 10th at the end of the day, most likely. And the likes of a Kreisberg, four minutes 50 behind, is unlikely that he's going to pass the likes of Iking Eater. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. It's that a is, late uh, TT tomorrow. Yeah. Well, which goes at 7.50 p.m. Jesus Christ. Big late TT, late, TT, late uh, podcast for us, but can't wait to watch that Sunday TT. Uh, but yeah, otherwise, that's been one of the craziest stages. We've, we're still reeling from it. I think we will wait for, we'll have to do tomorrow the Bing Bank and um, Sarah Tizit ladies tour. Uh, yep. Love well to Benji. I'm kind of still a bit shook and rolling incoherently. <laughs> yeah. So, and especially question. as Haig is a friend of the podcast as well. Go on, yes. Yeah. Final question. I think that um, whenever we, see a Grand Tour, we tend to judge it based on the fact that the last few stages are great. Do you think that this stage makes this Velta so much better than, for example, if it wouldn't have had this stage? Uh, I don't know about like all-time rank. I think it's too far to go, oh, this is now one of the yeah. greatest Veltas ever. But yeah, in terms of being, not, be- but- being better than the Tour, of course, this Velta was better than the Tour um, in terms of excitement for me. Yes, there were some draggy stages, but GC tension is really what interests me and we have this until we have it tomorrow too uh for at least the podium i don't gc tension between sixth and seventh i don't really care but for the podium i care about it um really zero i still prefer this vuelta personally there's been a lot of storylines in this vuelta and i i don't think it's just this stage i've actually enjoyed 
a lot of other stages which haven't had as much interest. Like I really enjoyed Gamonoteru. I really enjoyed some other stages in the Vuelta. Second week was a little bit... Yeah, was yeah. much more fun than Zonkolan in my eyes, personally. Yeah. Like uh, when I'm looking at GCs, I'm comparing this one to perhaps a lesser version of Giro last year. Giro last year had the tension at the last week that made it so much better. But the problem there is that that was for first and this is for third. And that makes it, of course, a bit less, but certainly one of the better ones, if not the best finish of a Grand Tour this year. Yes, and we love tactics. So the tactics of Bahrain, as I said, really you know, love it. But that's all from us today. One thing we could ask of you if, we, if you've enjoyed the Vuelta España recap podcast is to try and get us to the 20,000 subscriber target on YouTube. If that's where you listen, we're at 19,500, nearly there. If we can get there by the end, that would be awesome. Or if you listen on podcast players to give us a review or a rating if you enjoy the content. But otherwise, we'll see you at the recap of the all-important TT tomorrow. Ciao. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.